From beautiful downtown Milheim, in the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about drinking in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode four, Canadian glory and four anniversaries, all directly above the center of the earth. It's our last episode of 2022. I wrote some of this on December 10th while I had the chance, and the interview was done back in November. I knew I'd need an episode in the midst of the darkness of the solstice and the bright lights of the holidays. What do we have? Well, on December 9th, Kathy and I had our anniversary dinner at Pine Grove Hall in Pine Grove Mills, and I have to say that it lived up to what we'd been told. I also got to Sealands Grove Brewery and Elk Creek Cafe for their back-to-back anniversaries on the 21st and 22nd, and we'll talk about that. I have a great interview for you, too. I promised that we'd be doing an occasional series on the pioneering beer bars of central Pennsylvania, and I have the first installment for you. But first, as always, here's what I'm drinking today. It's that weird week between Christmas and New Year's when anyone who can get away with it doesn't really do much work, and everyone in hospitality, retail, healthcare, and law enforcement picks up the slack. So in honor of Slack Week, but mostly for New Year's Eve, I'm popping a somewhat premature cork on a bottle of Shade Mountain Three Witches Sparkling Wine. Whee! Oh, that's a nice pop. Let's take a look at this stuff. So the Shade Mountain Three Witches Sparkling Wine. Plenty of fizz. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's a semi-dry. Wow, actually a nice little creamy bit of... uh, Almost like milk chocolate there. In with the fruit. A little bit of, uh, what is that? Some kind of spice. Maybe just the barest hint of vanilla from the barrel. That's fun. Which, I mean, really? That's what New Year's Eve's all about. So, you can pop one of these off. If you can find another couple of witches. Cauldron boil, cauldron bubble. And call it Happy New Year. Cheers. December is a busy month, full of holiday prep and celebration, family gatherings, music and lights and travel. It's a little bit more so for my wife and I. We celebrate our anniversary on the 9th. This year was our 33rd, and we decided to go low-key. No cards, no gifts, just hugs and dinner out. We took the opportunity to try a new place for us, one we'd heard a lot about from friends in the area, and a nod to the Foodies of State College group on Facebook. That's Pine Grove Hall, in the little town of Pine Grove Mills. I won't repeat the glowing hype around the place, let's just say that expectations were high. Our reservation was for 7, but we wanted to have a cocktail at the bar first, so we got there a little after 6.30. The single downstairs room was warm, with the lights just a bit dimmed for atmosphere. We walked over to the bar and took our seats. Area cocktail legend Skerrick Horner was behind the stick, and he greeted us pleasantly. While he was finishing up the order he was working on, I took a look at the bar. It was a beautiful old-school wooden back bar, four good taps, and an impressive array of whiskeys and other spirits, along with an even more impressive set of bitters, amaros, tinctures, spices, and garnishes. We'd quickly find out that none of it was for show. Skerrick uses all of it in the course of an evening. I asked him for the whiskey list. He said it was a work in progress, so he called it up on his phone and handed that to me. 
As I perused it, he happened to mention that he had Alberta Premium Cask Strength Canadian, an excellent whiskey from the Calgary-based distiller. Given the way people had talked about the Manhattans they had here, that made my mind up. So I asked for a sweet side Manhattan with the Alberta Premium, and Kathy ordered a stone wall, a colonial-era cocktail made with apple cider, rum, and apple brandy. The Manhattan came in a coupe glass with a house-branded cherry. It was splendid, the power of the 120-plus proof whiskey neatly wrapped in the vermouth and a hint of the spicy cherry shining through. Kathy's stone wall was similarly tasty, full of the apple without being one-dimensional. We relaxed and chatted. The bar was busy, but not crowded. I like that when I go out. I want some of the hustle-bustle, but I don't like being jammed up cheek by jowl. People came in. We moved over a bit to make room for them. Everyone was friendly. We decided to get another cocktail to take to the table. We both want apple this time. I got the warm version of the stone wall. Kathy got a star cocktail. The stone wall was better cold. Something didn't quite go right with the warmer temperature. It popped out and unbalanced things. But the star cocktail, Boulard, VSOP, Calvados, Falernum, and Vermouth with star anise floating on top was just wonderful. A cocktail that smelled and tasted of mid-Atlantic holidays. Baking spices, apples, and the sweet, savory smell of the star anise. Then we went to our table, where Laura took us under her cheerfully conspiratorial wing. She reviewed our cocktail choices, approved, and took our already planned first course choices. Kathy ordered the chicken liver mousse, which shocked me. She tends to go for roasted vegetables when we go out. I got the lamb arancini, two of my favorite things together, with a kimchi brown butter tomato sauce. Kimchi being definitely not one of my favorite things, but I'm trying to stretch. By the time the plates arrived, we needed another drink. I had a glass of the Zeno's Rye Ale. I'd been wanting to try it, and this was my first chance. It was briskly spicy in both hop and rye ways, and excellent with the food. Kathy had a glass of the Grand Bazan Alberino, a Galician white. She was happy enough with it that she stuck to it the rest of the night. The plates were a delight. My two arancini were huge, about two-thirds the size of a baseball, with a crisp, non-greasy brown crust and a risotto-like center of just barely individual grains of broth-flavored rice. The lamb in the middle was, wow, the reason these were so big, was not skimpy and fulsomely tender. The sauce was great. We both worked to make sure not a bit of it was wasted, like a spectacularly rich and just slightly funky marinara. Kathy's chicken liver mousse. What an understated name, like calling baked Alaska a dish of ice cream. It was a pate made from local chicken livers, fall fruits, and brandy, served with apple butter and pickled apples atop a thick slice of grilled house-made pumpkin bread. It was incredible. One of those things that is way too rich to eat a lot of that you still don't want to stop eating. If that pumpkin bread pairing sounds odd, well, me too, but it was phenomenal. So good. Main plates were ordered. I chose the chicken piccata, crunchy, crisp crust on a juicy chicken cutlet topped with a bright lemon caper sauce and perched on brown butter potato puree, dressed with greens that sure looked a lot like the great stuff we're getting from Let Us Grow in Belleville. Kathy selected the seafood chowder, a trencher full of mussels and chunks of whitefish, with a great hunk of warm, crisp Gamelli Bakery sourdough to sop up the soup. Now we had end-of-meal choices to make. Kathy picked the pumpkin grenache with pumpkin confit and citrus granita. Light, delicious, surprising set of textures. And me? I had another of those Alberta premium Manhattans. Who knows when I'll get another chance? 
It was an ambitious menu in all directions, backed up solidly on execution and delivered with smiling ease. It was quite a night. Thanks, Pinegrove Hall, and happy anniversary, Kathy. Now, about that interview. Dave Staub and I sat down at the unfinished and unheated offices of Bowl City Brewing on a cold afternoon just before Thanksgiving. He was working his last week as the manager at the bar that is famously located directly above the center of the earth, Zeno's Pub in State College. Dave's been introducing Penn State students and alumni, and the rest of us, to great beers there for almost 35 years. We talked about how he started there the morning after a Grateful Dead concert, his favorite imported beers, and some Zeno's history. Dave's going to be the manager at the new Bull City Brewing in Bullsburg, but that's the topic of a future interview. Here's what he had to say this time. How you doing, Lou? I'm good, Dave. Uh, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. well, thank you for doing this interview. Um, sure. I know you don't do them often. No, uh, I don't. No. So, <laughs> you're on the show because I wanted to do a, um, well, I mean, I'm starting to do a series on the uh, the old original beer bars in oh, okay. Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I mean, Zeno's is, Zeno's is it, and you have recently left after how many years? 38. 38 years. Holy crap. Summer of 84. Wow. And how long has Zeno's been open? Um, fall of 72. We okay. just we just had we just had a big 50th anniversary party. Nice. Very nice. About, about a month ago. Yeah. How did, where did you start? Uh, I mean, what what did you start as? My origin story goes back to my first Grateful Dead show at uh, <laughs> City Island, Harrisburg. Oh, okay. Uh, some friends of mine were leaving uh, State College. They pretty much tossed me in the back of a hatchback and said, said we're going. I, I went with them, and I was supposed to start at Zeno's the next morning as weekend janitor. At 8, eight in the morning, I was supposed to be there. <laughs> and uh, a couple of caveats. I knew they weren't coming back. Oh. They were going on to the next day's show. Oh. But I was hitchhiking a lot at the time, okay. and, and I was pretty comfortable doing that. And Hitching to Penn State was pretty easy. You have a sign that says PSU, and you'll you'll get rides. Yeah. So I, I hitched back uh, after the show. Only got part way. I was not out on the divided highway of 322, and <laughs> it was very late. And I figured, uh, number one, no one's going to stop for right. me. Number two, if someone does stop, I'm in real trouble. Yeah. Do you want to get in the car? So, right. 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 <laughs> and so uh, I wound up sleeping. Um, the entranceway to a, a little diner that was uh, actually in the eastbound lanes. I walked down across the divided highway, and this uh, this diner that was unlocked, it was open. So I slept sort of in their alcove entranceway with my head on a concrete step for the night. Traffic woke me up in the morning, and I got three rides right to the corner of College and Allen at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I was five minutes late for work. And uh, so I was a janitor for uh, a good long time uh, in, in Zeno's and upstairs in the Allen Street Grill and wound up on the lunch lunch line in the Allen Street Grill for a while as a cook and butted heads with Chris Pappas quite a few times, uh, who was the owner, the owner of the hotel at the time. Within a year, a number of things had happened. And I threw my hat in the ring to be the manager, and Chris had other bigger fish to fry than to worry about who was managing Zeno's. And... Uh, he let me do it. Wow. I, st- I stayed with it. Yeah. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah right. Ah, uh, ah. How did it come to be 
a beer bar because it, it was. And, and, and at the time, there weren't any others around here that I know of. I would say that's pretty pretty accurate. There was there was a beer program already in place, the Around the World in 80 Beers Club. Oh, okay. Had been started before I got there. That started in 81. Huh. And that was started by the previous manager and first real help came from Nittany Beverage who agreed to, you know, go out of their normal beer distribution uh, and get us uh-huh. the requisite number of beers from different places around. I, um, I just not a plug, just a, a no, I actually came here from there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, they were the first on board, and, and, and quickly all of the wholesalers were on board. Time, you know, there was only 80 exactly beers. And right. Over, over my years, it certainly grew quite a bit. So there was already a beer program, but... You know, with the explosion of U.S. craft, like anybody our age, that starts with Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Right. You know, we we went from there, and when the local stuff started showing up, Carol Stout, you know, Tom Pastorius delivered the first case of Penn Pilsner to Zeno from the trunk of his car. (laughs) He had his hazards on outside the the Hotel State College, and... Mike Desmond and I greeted him out front, and so you know, so th- those years were, you know, in its infancy, and yeah. everybody knew everybody, and you know, going out of your way to to a beer event was a special trip, and heading down to Adamstown for the Oktoberfest shenanigans with Carol, you know, drinking Jägermeister. Uh, just, just, yeah, all that silliness, and uh, it, you know, in my my trips, um, you know, I made special trips to the Wharf Rat, you know, down oh, in yeah, Baltimore, and yeah. you know, going to the Brick Skeller was a big deal. Yep. Um, that, that, that's like, you know, you'd read about it and you'd figure out a way to get there, wait in line, get seated, and the big menu would come out and all that, and right. uh, you know, and, um, early on. Cast condition deal really grabbed me. Um, everything about it just seemed to be fantastic, and uh, to this day, that's true. Yeah. And so, you know, I had my first trip to Europe was England and Wales, and my uh, tour guide was um, called the Good Pub Guide. Um, oh, yeah, I remember that. I, I knew that if uh, I found a good pub, then everything else would fall into place. Uh, you find a place to stay. You find a place to eat. You find a castle to visit you find people to you know if the if, it, if there's a good pub you're you're doing okay yeah you're right so, to everything else yeah it, everything else follows and that turned out to be true and that was a you know it was a benchmark trip for me when i came back i started seek to buy our first beer engine for Zeno's and mm-hmm. try to find someone to make us some uh, there was a few places in states that were doing it um most of them weren't being distributed in PA. But we landed with yards. I was going to say, is uh, that how you wound sure, up with For Gale? sure, okay. yeah. And, uh, and, and, then, uh, and then Trogues Hopback was, <laughs> was very big for us. Yeah. Uh, Victory Hop Devil was on our beer engine for many, many, many years. And we eventually expanded to three beer engines. And so, wow. you know, and then Autos eventually produced casks for us uh-huh. too, luckily. So we would have autos and a trogues and a victory and a yards rotating in and out and uh you know i got to serve michael jackson a cast hop devil in zenos and so you had asked me if i had any memorable moments and for for me being able to serve michael jackson yeah 
you know, cast condition hop devil. And for him, he had certainly had beers like that and probably had had hop devil even, but, but not on cask. And it it's, wouldn't have been normal for him to have a beer of that bold flavor right. on a cask coming from Britain. And so I, I remember him being, uh, you know, a little bit of raised eyebrows by the mm. by the brightness and the, the boldness effect. of it. Yeah. Coming. yeah. And so, um, you know, that was one of my watermark moments being able to serve him and uh that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah it, you know and we had um get on some early beer dinners carol stout came up and did a dinner one time we had people visit we had a, a very remarkable visit from dick yingling once um <laughs> we were doing uh yingling porter pitchers special twice a week and mm-hmm. so yingling porter you would walk into Zeno's and, you know, 80% of the tables have a pitcher of dark beer on. And that's that was a, a big yeah. big change in the 80s and early 90s. And, uh, you know, I uh, was having a conversation with the salespeople at Hickey one day. And, um, you know, they kind of threw out classic, you know, what, what can we do for you? What can we do for Zeno's? And I said, bring somebody with the name Yingling to Zeno's. You know? <laughs> It was kind of an off-hand comment, and uh, within uh, a couple of months, we had arranged to, you know, to have Dick Yingling come up and visit. It was on a Tuesday afternoon. We marketed it in the Collegian, and uh, it was supposed to be a 5 p.m. meet and greet. Come in, you know, sign a few posters, say hello, and I'm sure that the people of Yingling had a typical visit in mind. Mm-hmm. Word got out. The place was packed. Oh, by, the place was packed by three. <laughs> People drinking porter for a couple hours. The Yingling group was a little bit late from travel, and uh, by the time the Yingling group was getting got there, they were pounding on the tables, adopting Penn State football cheers to Yingling cheers. And the one that the one that stuck was "We want Dick." <laughs> pounding, pounding on the table, and. Um, when they walked in, the place erupted to a standing ovation and cheering, and they were dumbstruck. <laughs> I mean, I, I, they stood there in awe of, of a, a basement bar full of people screaming for them. Wow. It was like rock star stuff. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, that was, that was a pretty memorable day. I got, you know, I got to see Dogfish Head's original... Sankey brewing system. Oh yeah, in in action. There's some some of those early early days where the exploring of people brewing beer and pubs that were doing something interesting with all the new products that were coming out. Like I said, it was it was a pretty heady time to be like a beer explorer. You know? Right. Any little tidbits of something coming up, you would find out about it and either make a road trip or. Yeah, I remember um, those days. How I mean, it just seemed like all we were doing was telling each other, "Did you hear about this?" And yeah, yeah, go. it was ex- it was exciting, and, and all these places were two hours away or more. For sure, yeah. for sure. You know, any time I traveled, I you know I would, you know, I got I got to go to Grant's Pub in Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest before they closed, and um, you know, drank Geary's in the home state. You know, things like that that I look back now, I was excited for them at the time, and you don't you don't realize that that. You know, some of those people and some of those products are gonna are gonna have their day, and then it's you know they're gonna they're right. they're, they're gonna close or they're gonna fade away or they're gonna get out of the business or you know some of those things, and then you know other people are gonna stay as long as Carol did or as long as you know Tom Pastorius or any of those people. Um, you know, after Cask, uh, it was Belgians for me, and 
those two remain to this day stuff I seek out. I mean, I got to say, when I I stopped in, what was it, two weeks ago, and had an or beer, a Dadala or beer. I can't even remember the last time I saw one. I was just so damned happy to see it there. Yeah, that that fits right in with me. Yeah. Yeah. Shufu Blonde is one of my top beers of all time. Mm -hmm. For many years, that was my number one. People would ask me, I would, without fail, Shoe Food Blonde, that's my number one. Yeah. And, you know, I got to see um, the brewer from Shoof when he spoke at the Philly Beer Expo at the uh, Egyptian Museum. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he gave it speech. So, I got, you know, I got to meet and listen to him talk about one of my favorite beers and, you know, some of that real personal interactions that I've had over the years about some of the products that I was excited about it was remarkable for me. I started drinking outside of the mainstream in 81. So we're, you know, we're on the same, same track. experiences. We're yeah, on, the, on, the, on the same really track. Familiar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of that, or beer in the cooler, I mean, are there are there beers that you have regularly that you're particularly proud to have? For sure. At our largest selection, goes back six or seven, eight years, something like that. I was getting a lot of beer from Shangis and uh, Stockertown. We were getting quite a few interesting things. I, you know, I remember getting a, a wooden firkin of old ale, you know, a little five-liter cask-conditioned firkin um, from, from Nima. You know, I think anytime you get a style that you're particularly interested in, you know, for me and, and, a, and a lot of pub owners, um, aging Imperial Stouts was part of the program, you know, being, yeah. a, being able to offer verticals of stone, Russian Imperial was a, was a big deal. Yeah, being you know at one point we could offer four different ages of Thomas Hardy's ale, which oh, wow. um, you know that was it remains remains <laughs> another rem- beer you right, don't see everywhere anymore. Right, rem- yeah, remains one of those you know rarities. You you can have a few of those oddballs or rarities. For the most part, people will pass them by until someone like yourself walks in and sees an order beer and you order that without even thinking right <laughs> and so it, it's exciting to take care of that clientele mm-hmm. um, and then and then you know each tier of your menu can have you know beers that keep the lights on mm-hmm. beers that are a step up for people and that's something in my in my early years you know it was people say you know you're teaching about people about beer and I was like well I, I wasn't really so much as a teacher, it's more like it's more like when your buddy finds a, a cool band and introduces you to the record. It's not like he's, you know, he's just right. he's just kind of guiding you. Like I found this kind of thing, and that's that's sort of the way I went through um, the '80s and the '90s. Uh, was I would find stuff that maybe I'd been looking for, maybe I hadn't, maybe I'd read about, maybe I'd tried it somewhere. Someone else turned me on to it, and yeah. I, I was passing on like, put this record on your turntable, and I was like, put this beer in your glass. And that sort of was, I was the conduit for yeah. cool stuff. And More so, presentment yeah, than, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was, you know, it wasn't about, you know, lecturing on utilization of hops or anything. It was just like, you got to try this. <laughs> Check out what I found on my, you know, whatever. Yeah. And we did some beer sharing parties, and so that helped a lot. People would bring stuff from their travels. People would, you know, there was a certain group that all of us would try to outdo each other, you know, and these... 
twin brothers showed up one time with uh, growlers of one of each Pliny's, you know. They had just wow. they had just run on to Philly overnight <laughs> and got the younger and the elder and uh-huh. brought them back. And, of course, that yeah, they stole the show that day. Uh, other people stole the show in other ways, yeah. you know. You, anybody who rang Kenty on was the winner for the day. Right. You know, rightfully so. Yes. Um, so, you know, and I got to, I got to serve some Kenty on him, not in any recent years, but, you know, being able to serve that to people who really know what's what's happening, uh, and then there's a couple of people beside them who go, well, what's that all about? And so you can introduce that to, yeah, it starts to, to spread somebody's that palate, yeah. right? You know, there was a short window where, you know, the beer St. Sixtus was still around, and, like, uh, being able to have that on our shelf and knowing what that meant to when I was just learning what the Belgian hierarchy was yeah. and all of that, you know, recognizing that, you know, the first time we got uh, Lindemann's Cuvées, things like that. It's just, it's exciting to have those products and offer them to people, introduce them to people. Um, once again, show the way, be the conduit. Right, you know, right. Put this record on your turntable kind of idea is the way I view that. Uh, have you... You know, people you've, I don't know, people you've trained, people you've brought along, have they gone out and opened their own places? There's a handful of people out there who either, or certainly still in the industry in different places, Uh um, you know, some people have their own catering companies, some people have gone on to certainly brew at other places um, or or open open breweries. Christian Heim from Lancaster was was a roommate and bartender at Zeno's. Okay. Uh, so, you know, he's he might be the most easily recognizable by you and Pennsylvania, yeah. Pennsylvania people. Yeah, good guy. Uh, yeah, for sure. There's there's definitely a handful of people out there who are either in the industry or managing bars or have moved on. All the different areas that this industry yeah. has, um, you know, that's one of the great things about State College and Penn State is all the different people that come through here for short periods of very important parts of their life. Right. They go out to on to their other things. You know, all of that is a rewarding experience, especially when you hear back from them or they right. or they come back to visit. And a couple years a couple years ago I started experiencing um my dad told me to come here and get a job because he worked here, kind of thing. And so that was, that, that was, that yeah. was, that was a new scenario. Yeah, right. Or you know, my mom was a customer. Here, oh yeah. You know, right? yeah. And she said to say hello and all this other stuff. So that, you know, the second generation stuff is great, particularly warming part of the industry that helps to balance out the not so warming parts of the industry. They're, they're there. That's for sure. For sure. I've always wondered where did the name come from. So that was um, the original owner, Zeno Papadopoulos. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, him, him and his brother Chris bought the corner room, I think, 67 or 68. The story I've always been told is the liquor license was in a drawer somewhere that they did not know about. They bought a restaurant. Oh, my but God. But they, they did not buy a liquor license. Okay. And, you know, so they, they reenacted it. I think that um, the first service was upstairs. Some of those details, you know, remain in the storyline somewhere. Yeah. But uh, 72, they wanted to open the basement bar, and uh, there was some discussion about what they wanted to call it, what they wanted to, what the logo was going to be like. Apparently, Zeno's just walked in the room and literally signed his name, and that's the logo. There you go. That's (laughs) literally his handwriting. So by the time I got there, Zeno had left and opened his own place, 
where Fasha Luna is now. That's oh, okay. That was uh, that was Zeno's place. Huh. His brother Chris stayed through '86. Mike Desmond and John Cacon bought it at that time, and they stayed through. I'm starting to forget my dates now, but mm-hmm. then the Shulmans bought it. Joe Shulman, and then 2019, right before the mm-hmm. pandemic, mm-hmm. is when the Croce Group came in. So okay. I've been there through four ownership groups and unabashedly a, a dive bar. It just seems like an odd a dive bar that has this well freaking ethereal beer list. So it, you know it happened purposely but organically uh, over time going back to those heady days of exploration and you know what could I get from who could I get it with. There was so much beer in the Philadelphia market that was not making it past right past the river yeah. you know in Harris like it was just not uh, and I didn't understand why and so overnight I introduced you know 350 brands overnight uh-huh. and woke everybody up yeah uh, the public was extremely receptive to it and you know that's when you know everything from Schuf to St. Bernardus to any especially the Belgians right. but, but then you know some of the other West Coast stuff that just simply wasn't making there was no desire to have a territorial agreement for small Oregon brewery because the local wholesalers didn't by the time they're they're getting their modest cut you, you got to decide who you're putting your your energy behind and that means the big boys so yeah that that was that was a really big period for us and our dra- our, our bottle list went to over 350 and we could that allowed us to do you know some pretty elaborate beer festivals many festivals and um, tastings down there Mm -hmm. where we would have 70 bottled beers open and available to sip and sample and so you could you would come in and you know it would would be just a scaled down festival but as far as why it happened in the basement it's what i had to work with and i i brought to zeno's things that i wanted in a bar you know um you know people have been asking me lately and i was just like well you know i i grew up with zeno's and zeno's grew up with me and you know, whatever I wanted, taste-wise and environment-wise, I was bringing to the table. Whether it was, you know, music and just the environment, I was enthusiastically soaking in what other people were doing. Going to the Peculiar Pub in New York City, and you know, some things that I could definitely see what they were doing would work or would not work. Certainly, we couldn't be the Brickscaler. Why not have their expansive list? So I would, you know, no reason we only have to have. 100 beers let's go for 200 places like the ram's head the original ram's head and then in annapolis oh, okay. before they expanded the place looks like xenos the, yeah the original basement you know and uh i would see what they were doing none of those places were college bars mm-hmm. for sure and so you know we had to make some adjustments to that market who our real customer base was sure this is also before um you know, places like Autos Open. So any beer enthusiast was coming to me occasionally, if not regularly. Yeah. And that meant the adults would willingly put up with or accept downtown and college environment and a basement bar, dive bar. To get that beer. To get, right. And then and, and then it just became their place. And yeah. so, and frankly, there's just a, there's just an affinity for that kind of basement place. Anyway, it's a, it's a Northeast thing. Yeah. It's certainly a Pennsylvania thing. And it works for me. Uh, right. And so <laughs> there's a, there's a hominess, there's a comfiness, there's a, 
enveloping thing about being in the basement and yeah. uh, with wood, you know, old wood paneled stuff that people people have been here before you. You know, if you've been to the Rascaler back in the day, that, that, you know that place just exuded. Yeah, people have been here doing things, and now you are. And there's something like, you know, really awesome about that. Yeah. So why did why did I do that in the basement bar, a college basement bar? Well, simply because it. That's where I worked. That's what you had. And that's what I had. And I wanted to bring to the table things that I wanted. And I felt like a college basement bar can be more than $2 shots of tequila on a Saturday night. And so, you know, we went for it. Um, and all the while, uh, there was a balance still between, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, beers to keep the lights on and things like that. Um, you know, there's no getting around our history, my history, and the history of Yingling Lager. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just, you know, it's built in. Yeah, um, like you said, it's yeah, a Pennsylvania yeah, thing. Yeah, right, right. And so it gave us an opportunity to take care of people who, you know, it, it, to this day, you got to, you know, there's people that are there primarily because of the beer selection or, or primarily because of some of the live music that's playing or they just like the environment. And between those three, keeping those three major components active, healthy, invigorated, all that allows those different patrons to interact with each other too. It allowed us to be multidimensional in who we were trying to get as clientele, mm-hmm. um, how we were presenting ourselves. You know, it's not a big place, so we could be a little specialized in some of the beers and, and work at being the beer place. Um, it was great in the early days when you'd hear about, you know, oh, I heard about, I heard about this, you know, so you'd, you'd get a visitor from, who went out of their way to find us. Right. Uh, you, you know, well, you're from where? And like, well, I heard about you because of this and this, you know, it was before Beer Advocate and before all of that, you yes. know, you'd be flipping through, you know, Mid-Atlantic Beer News. Right. Yep. right. You, yep. And you'd see somebody mention it or something, or I had cask something something yeah. or, you know or yards esa is on cast somewhere you know you'd be like, what you know and so you'd, you'd you'd get those beer explorers going um yeah i mean i remember i was on some of the early internet beer groups in the early 90s and that that was almost all, all you talked about yeah you grab you, you, you grab these little tidbits of stuff right yeah right i was talking about uh years ago i mentioned something about I'm, I'm here because this and this and this is on tap. And somebody was like, you drove four hours for a tap list? I was like, all the time? <laughs> yes is the answer. So, you know, and it's, I made a correlation to, you know, music and uh, new stuff and exploring that. And it's not dissimilar, you know, you yeah. you, you throw a bunch of guys in a, a car that's too small for five people and you go see a band that you heard about just because... There's two dates on the East Coast, and so that's where we're going. Like, that's where you're like going. We're, we're going to New York City to see so-and-so because they're, they're doing New York, they're doing Boston, and we won't see them. And so the, the beer exploring was a little bit like that in those days, too. I, I haven't done it that way in a long time, but yeah. <laughs> the proliferation of, of beer is a bit different now, too. Yes. And, and, it's, and you know, going local and going hyper-local is every bit as satisfying in a different way than finding a bottle of Cantillon somewhere. So, yeah. And now, you know, the local, the local scene's getting even better. And that seems like a little segue to make one, one, uh, remark about what I'm doing next. I would like to do that. Yeah, yeah, actually, we're going to have yeah. to wrap up, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're sitting at Bull we're, City. Right. We're, right. we're sitting, we're sitting in the meeting room at, <laughs> at, at Bull City Brewing. You're right. Talking, so, talking about my, career at Zeno's and where you're where you're headed now yeah um, so 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the I'm going to be the general manager uh, front of the house. Uh, okay. At, at Bull City Brewing. Um, was it so, was it the opportunity that led you to leave Zenos? It, it's 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 a hundred things all together. Okay. Uh, and 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 an excellent opportunity that yeah that, that seemed like I should jump in there and got God knows it's a it's a gorgeous spot. I yeah. mean, I'm looking out the window right now. It's yeah. And, wow. and you know, since it since it's come come to light, you know, people go, "You're you're going with Gordy, right?" And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "That that's awesome. That's awesome." And they go, "You got Mike Smith too?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. And he's like, "That's awesome." Yeah. So, you know, the the excitement around the project and where we are and how we're doing it, it's it's it's, it's been great. Yeah, but that that's what's next for me. That's excellent. And I I wish you all the success. I, I wish you all the success you had at Zenas. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. So Thanks. I'm. Really happy we had to, had you on. Uh, thanks for thanks for talking to me, and I'm kind of looking forward to getting some stories on some of the other old guys that are around. Um, I want to talk yeah. to the guys at the Knickerbocker, yeah, uh, Winber Hotel, Mastraccios. Well, Knickerbocker, um, it's got some Zeno's uh, history there too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They... What people or yeah, what's his name down there, Knickerbocker? Yeah, he's a regular mine for a while. You'll find that out when you go. Okay, yep. all right. Yep, I'll check out. Yeah. All right, Dave. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Likewise. All right. Take care, man. Good to see you. Cheers. Bye bye. You know, it is technically a holiday. This is kind of the New Year's show, and I'm actually recording it on December 26th, which is Boxing Day in the UK, a quasi holiday that Americans aren't supposed to know anything about. The rest of the family is messing about with drinks and leftovers and new jigsaw puzzles while I'm editing this. So, let's have another drink. Since we're already doing three anniversaries this episode, as seems calendrically appropriate at the turn of the year, let's do one more. I've been saving this bottle of Sierra Nevada 30th anniversary beer for over 10 years now. It came out in 2010. This is the first of four different releases done for the 30th anniversary, Ken and Fritz's Ale, an imperial stout Sierra Nevada founder Ken Grossman made with his mentor, Anchor Brewing's Fritz Maytag. This is a serious godfather of craft beer thing. It's been sitting in my basement, a 750 milliliter corked and caged bottle in a very nice wooden presentation box, and I decided that this holiday season would be its moment. Hope it's still good. Beer came out okay. I got a pop on the cork. We have just a slight rim of bubbles. It smells great. It smells like a, um, well, it smells like what it is. It smells like a a well-aged Imperial Stout. There's uh, There's no sourness on this. There's no nasty tang. This is, this is smelling pretty good. So what do I smell? Uh, dark malt, a little bit of coffee, a little bit of cocoa chocolate, like kind of a, almost like a bittersweet chocolate. Mmm. And a little bit of booze. Let's try this. Mm. Oh my. Uh, not as thick as I was expecting, and even more complex than I was expecting. Mmm. That is... Well, it's cool. I think it's at about 50 degrees. Um, there's a little bit of uh, fruit there, kind of like a, a dried cherry, maybe a little hint of prune. But there's some of that roast bitterness, roast grain bitterness, and the mm, black coffee, uh, no cream or sweetness to it. This beer has aged 
mellowed, leaned out over the years. It is, mm, wow, it's just refeeling more all the time. A beer like this that is supposed to age, I wish they all aged like this. Wow. Mm. All right. Well, Happy New Year. I'm going to enjoy this in the uh, the bosom of my family since I split the 750 milliliter bottle with my wife and my son. So we're going to go enjoy that together. Cheers. This time of year used to be a lot harder for me. Oh, it's not for any emotional, oh, it's the holidays reason. It's because the anniversaries of two of my favorite brew pubs anywhere come on back-to-back days, the solstice and December 22nd, and I used to live three hours away. But for one reason or another, I've managed to make it to Sealands Grove Brewing on the winter solstice for their anniversary about 10 times in the past 26 years, and I've made it to Elk Creek's anniversary the next day a time or two. This year, for the first time, I made both. Sealands Grove celebrated 26 years this December under a bit of a cloud. The brewery is for sale, and no one knows what the situation will be next year. But as co-owner Heather McNabb told me, things are good for now. Have a beer. Good advice. If you've somehow missed getting to Sealands Grove, it's a wonderful little place. Tucked into the basement of the historic mansion of Pennsylvania's third governor, Simon Snyder, The Cozy Brew Pub has about eight seats at the bar and maybe 36 more tables in the two rooms. Outdoor seating attracted the hardy and the latecomers. Kathy and I were lucky enough to grab the last table inside. The low-ceilinged rooms and stone walls will put you in another time. It's easy to feel like you're bumping mugs with people like Matthias App, the local merchant who caught stray dogs to power the treadwheel that drove his small distillery 200 years ago, as depicted in the Brew Pub's logo. The food is excellent bistro plates, hearty sandwiches, soups, a vegetarian chili that is solidly delicious, and beer-friendly appetizers, like the locally made soft pretzel with artichoke dip. It all comes from a kitchen the size of a small walk-in closet. But homey as the place undeniably is, and delicious the food, that's not why you're here. You're here for the beer. We got right into it. Two of the best-known beers at Sealands Grove are the richly fruity Pêche and Framboise, and both were on tap. I'm not generally a fruit beer kind of guy, but I can't resist these. The Pêche was slightly tart, brimful of ripe peach flavor, and with a medium mouthfeel that left me ready for another sip. The Framboise was packed with juicy raspberry, but with a slight tannic astringency that cleaned things right up. Praiseworthy beers indeed, as was the triple I had next power was there, but wrapped in a soft malt sheath, like driving a powerful but sophisticated automobile. Oh my, yes. We got four packs to go of the two fruit beers, and wished Heather the best as we left. We heard rumors that day that Axeman Brewery was hoping to put a tap room in Sealands Grove, across the street, something they would not confirm or deny when I asked later that day. I think one more brewery in the area would probably be good for everyone's business but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Meanwhile, I had another anniversary to get to. As I know I've mentioned, Elk Creek Cafe and Aleworks is just down the hill from us and was a large part of the reason we settled here in Milheim. Coincidentally, I'd first met Elk Creek co-founder Tim Bowser at Sealands Grove Brewing on the solstice. Must have been auspicious. Elk Creek celebrated their 15th year this December, with a release of their occasionally brewed Little Village MFA, a strong ale that's been a favorite in years past. 
They were also hosting Chicken Tractor Deluxe, an area band that's been playing Elk Creek a long time, pretty much since the start. We had plenty to look forward to. We made reservations, anticipating a full house. We were right, too. By the time we got there at 6 p.m., the place was about two-thirds full, and it would be full by 6.30. The band was set to start at 7, but they were already doing sound checks and warming up. We were about 20 feet from the stage. We ordered drinks from Amanda. Kathy got a glass of Seven Mountains Winery Ten Point, a Cab Cab Frank Merlot blend, because, yay, Pennsylvania's one enlightened booze law allows PA wines and spirits at PA brew pubs. I continued my quest to drink up the last of Elk Creek's excellent Oktoberfest. By the end of the night, I was assured that the last keg was on. Progress. Once we had a few sips in, we ordered starters. Kathy got caramelized Brussels sprouts with cheese and dried cherries, a favorite of ours. I got a new favorite, Korean barbecue drummies. We'd tried these barbecued chicken drumsticks the night before at a pub trivia night, and they were fantastic, with a sweet, lightly hot, and slightly crusted sauce, and a dusting of black sesame seeds. Both apps came on a bed of fresh and crispy bean sprouts that were soon heading off the plate in forkfuls. We ate about half of each to save room for the mains. Kathy surprised me. She's not usually a hot sauce type, but she got the Cobra Kiss Chicken Tacos. Smart move. They were a bit hot, with layers of spicy flavor on juicy chicken in soft taco shells. I got the seafood risotto, simply because I have a hard time resisting risotto. It was delicious, creamy and done through, still just a bit chewy with no crunch, and generously laden with crab meat. More Oktoberfest with that. With dinner over and the band about to start, I switched to Elk Creek's occasionally brewed strong brown ale, Little Village MFA. The MFA shows off one of the things I love about Elk Creek, their determination to serve malt as well as hops. MFA delivers a chewy, malty mouthful with a bittering balance at around 7.2%, but hey, we were walking home. I'll have a few more. By the time Chicken Tractor Deluxe took the stage, and immediately started tearing things up. The place was hopping as of old. I'll admit, the possibility of a random encounter with Mr. COVID crossed my mind, but I couldn't resist the joy of Elk Creek Cafe rocking to a fired-up band and a fired-up audience. People cheered, people danced, people got on stage. On stage? Yes! Local boys Gus and Huck Trich, also known as Wicked Chicken, fiddled and drummed with the band. Elk Creek co-founder Gary Geikus drummed. And for a time, he and Huck were driving the beat together. And Elk Creek brewer Tim Yarrington got up and blew his blues harmonica for a number or two. Other brew pubs say they support live music. Not many of them do it by joining right in. It was a great night. And we trudged home up the hill with a light heart and a heavy load of three growlers, including an MFA. Places like Elk Creek and Sealands Grove and Pine Grove Hall make central Pennsylvania a great place to live. We're very much looking forward to another year here, and we're very happy to have you along with us as we discover more food and drinks, mostly drinks, right here in the middle of the Keystone State. Happy New Year! That's the show. Thanks to Dave Staub for the interview, and to Scarrick Horner for a great night at the Pine Grove Hall. Thanks to Sierra Nevada Brewing for the 30th anniversary beer, a sample they sent me back in 2010. You can find pictures of the Pine Grove Hall cocktails and the anniversary parties on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at the Seen Through a Glass page. 
You can always message me directly on social media to let me know what you liked on an episode, what could be improved, and what Central Pennsylvania drinks and food producers you'd like to hear from. Seen Through a Glass is now available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Please subscribe to get notice of new episodes, and if you like the show, please take a moment and drop a rating or review. Thanks! Our next episode will include an interview with the person directly responsible for this whole podcast. We'll talk about our shared passion for Smoky Rauk beers on the next show, the first show of 2023. I'd like to welcome all the new listeners, especially anyone who came to the show because of the recent interview I did in the Center Daily Times. That was a lot of fun, and the picture-taking at Big Spring with cocktails and such wasn't bad either. Thanks for listening, and until next year, this is Lou Bryson on Scene Through a Glass from the smack-dab center of the Keystone State.